the bottoms in. Welcome to Kicko Roundtable. I'm your host, Michael McRae. Different format. We are going to be doing this in person at Deutsche Gold Messe. I'm with Joe Mazumdar with Exploration Insights. How you doing, Joe? How's it going? And the host of Deutsche Gold Messe, Kai Hoffman. Thank you very much for putting this on. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for coming out. Appreciate it. Much appreciated. CEO of Soar Financial as well. Okay, well, uh, this is the season for uh, conferences in Europe right now. Um, I was at uh, the Zurich show at uh, the Precious Metal Summit. Uh, I was also currently covering uh, Deutsche Goldmesse. I have two takes uh, that I want to, uh, I would say themes that I've taken from the shows that we've had. Uh, we're going to hear from our sponsor, Snowline Gold. I had a nice sit down and a catch up with uh, Scott Berdahl. And then lastly, we're going to finish uh, with uh, how would you say predictions or how would you say things that you're uh, looking forward to or keeping an eye on the resource sector. Mm -hmm. Works for everybody? Yep, works. Okay. Fantastic. First take, uh, Kai, and then I think you're going to have some thoughts on this as well too. It's uh, ESG and junior mining. Now we've seen environmental social governance uh, be a big topic or should be a big trend that has happened with the senior gold miners. We see them producing their sustainability reports. We see them as necessary because they have to have an inclusion within um, various types of index funds. Uh, we also see it, I think, also to kind of keep up with what's happening with uh, cryptocurrencies uh, because they want to see cryptocurrencies has been, I see a quizzical look on your face here, uh, Joe, stick with me for a second. <laughs> uh, what it is, is, is that um, uh, gold is an alternative currency as well as uh, crypto is being an alternative currency. And then there's kind of a competition on to see is like who uses up the least amount of energy. And then there's been a kind of a going back and forth with crypto and that part of the drive part of what is happening with G. Um, when I was talking to, and I should also note as well, is, is that um, development and exploration companies, though, that I saw that uh, release sustainability reports, uh, Senior Resources, Liberty Gold, Discovery Silver produced reports just this month alone on sustainability. Um, I just always found, though, it always have kind of fit oddly with gold. Gold is a contrarian bet. Gold is kind of anti-government saying as well too. So having that sustainability, I've never quite seen what the fit is because if you're buying gold, you're not kind of buying it for sustainability. Whereas if you're like a Newmont or if you're a Barrick, you're, you're servicing a larger investor base. Uh, but um, Dal Van Ys, uh, plethora private equity, uh, said that no clients have ever asked him about ESG when investing in silver and gold juniors through his fund. Uh, Felix Zuloff uh, also runs uh, investment advisory services as well. He's calling ESG, he's saying that it's devolving into fashion or fat is the way that he put it. So Kai, <laughs> <laughs> I'm handing it to you. Thoughts on ESG and junior miners? You added the junior miners and I think that's critical as well. Yeah. Um, and also in your, in your introduction to this topic, you focused a lot on the E part. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the main problem with this as well. If you compare crypto, like we've seen just the FTX scandal, the G part was completely forgotten yeah. about. Mm -hmm. And that's part, maybe that's the biggest topic of concern on the ESG side and junior mining is the G part. Because mm -hmm. I'm naive enough to believe that the junior miners that are listed on the venture or the TSX or even the CSC sort of follow, follow certain rules and apply themselves to, to sort mm -hmm. of tick the criterias, and ESG report is not going to change that, mm -hmm. right? Um, I'd love to see more efforts put into the G part, and yeah. uh, not just having your friends and family on the board is a big G part, a big part mm -hmm. of governance. Um, talking junior miners, a lot of the companies, it's a two-man, three-man operation. Mm 
yeah. putting these reports out puts a lot of time and also financial strain on those companies without adding any value. Yeah. Uh, I keep picking on BlackRock because they're just the biggest and they're the one who the most vocal about it. I don't see them investing in junior mining. Yeah. Right. So that's quite contrary, quite contradictory as well. Like it doesn't change anything mm-hmm. in, in that regard. If they were to provide money, if they were willing to pay a premium. Uh, on financings, instead of raising a ten cents, say, hey, here's twelve cents. We pay twelve cents. Use it extra to, to to prepare that ESG report. I've, I haven't heard of that. They they want to. They'd rather pay eight and get a full warrant at ten. Mm-hmm. Right. So, if that changes and if people are willing to pay up, then it makes sense. But people expect the same results at that level uh, with those ESG reports, and it just doesn't add up, in my opinion. I think, uh, Joe, uh, within ESG, I think uh, that's a framework that you're certainly seeing that's coming down from the large miners, but um, it's kind of falling on the juniors because the most important thing that you're hearing from juniors is um, uh, what's your stakeholder relations? How well is uh, the, how well are you managing uh, geopolitical uh, within the space that they're in? Yeah, I mean, uh, a lot of what's ESG has been done, you know, in my 30 years of working in the industry because if you don't have a social license to operate, it's hard to do anything. So it's just part of business. So if you want to label it ESG or whatever, the the S part of ESG, mm-hmm. you really require that. Uh, the E part of ESG wasn't thought of much when I was working in yeah. the industry. Nobody wanted to put a solar farm in the camp or you know think about wind turbines or anything like that. It was all diesel and nobody really cared. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that environmental stuff is new. The social stuff is not new. The governance <laughs> is still required and mm-hmm. not talked about as much. And so, yeah, I, I would say that there's some of it that is part of business that's always been part of business, which I would say would be the S, and and more so now because uh, it, it's not just working in the Peruvian Andes or something like that. It's it's working in Arizona or Nevada mm-hmm. or uh, or Alaska. You know, uh, so those 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 social issues are important because they can stop a project. You know, on on the governance side, like what I, you know, when we buy juniors and stuff like that, we want them to get acquired. So mm-hmm. from a, a major's perspective or the acquirer's perspective, they have to have those bits sorted out so they don't come in to uh, a lot of issues once they acquire the project, and then they have to redo all the relationships. Uh, and then suddenly everything's slower than they expect it to be because uh, the junior has not got a lot of good relationships there. They might have an asset that they like, but to actually do anything there, they've sullied the waters. Second take, and this comes from you, Kai. Thank you very much. I'm going to steal it. Uh, is the bottom in? Uh, what we've seen is, is that gold had this great run. Uh, we were kind of flirting with getting down into the 1500s. We saw the good inflation number that we had. Gold is kind of performing its uh, role in terms of being one of the most forward-looking of uh, the investments. And so we've seen it kind of spring up right now to about the uh, 1750 level that I see right now. But I'm having a difficulty here because either... I'm getting the sense that juniors are a little more optimistic or more optimistic than I've seen like in the past cycles. I mean, if you look at uh, what the stocks are doing right now, it's just looking terrible just on the numbers themselves. But I'm feeling that there seems to be a little bit more optimism or people are looking forward. I also think that uh, Kai might be some Freud. 
Schadenfreude? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because <laughs> I also have Don't to say do that with, to a German guy. Yeah. <laughs> I, this is an aside, but uh, we were talking about uh, Germany's uh, contribu recent contributions to culture, and I think it's that I think it's that phrase. I think is probably one of the no, top contributions one. to all of Western culture. Um, I think with uh, Schadenfreude sure. is that um, what we've seen is is that uh, uh, the implosion of uh, crypto right now. Uh, and uh, because uh, talking to uh, Pierre Lassonde at uh, Zurich, he put a number on uh, the crypto market and he said that about 20% to 40% of the liquidity was taken away from the gold space just because what is happening with crypto. With crypto seeming to be going from a freeze into a deep freeze right now, maybe there's going to be more of a shine on the gold space. Time. Really good commentary, really interesting. I wasn't aware that it was 20 to 40 percent. That's I hadn't heard of that before. Um, Schadenfreude, yes, yes and no. It's, all the gold bugs have been saying that crypto is not sustainable, Bitcoin doesn't make sense in comparison to gold, mm -hmm. various reasons for that. I don't want to get into that. Um, but Schadenfreude, I don't know, it's like if it's Schadenfreude or not, but uh, that the gold price reaction, I think, has more to do with the downfall of the US dollar. Yeah. Um, the juniors have been you know, performing decently well, but I'm not 100 percent convinced that we're through. The worst yet. Mm -hmm. Like I think we're still range bound. I look at the gold price. Uh, usually sixteen eighty to seventeen seventies. Like we've been in that trading range for the last six months. Uh, the Fed really hasn't signaled yet where things are headed. Uh, mm -hmm. They they've not sort of mentioned the softening in the in the rate hike like pressure maybe. Like it's only fifty basis points. They might take the foot off the gas. We'll have one more CPI print before the next FOMC meeting. Curious to see how that uh, sort of turns out and maybe mm -hmm. plays a role. Um, some of the stocks have run. I'm not sure if it's the crypto money coming back. I think there's still a lot of investors on the sidelines um, just waiting for something to happen. And that little run from 1680 now to 1770 might have instilled some glimmers of hope in some of the investors. We've seen a little financing window open. We've seen some financings happen. And I'm not 100% convinced it's the crypto money coming back. But it's good to see that we don't have competition in the gold space this time around if we really want to run. We don't have crypto against us this time around. We don't have cannabis and wheat stocks against us. If gold and gold stocks want to run, now is the time. Uh, Joe, um, you know, 70.50 is a pretty good price for gold if you're a senior gold operator that knows what they're doing. And also, I mean, these uh, the senior gold miners are also well cashed out from uh, the previous run up in uh, gold prices. So. Yes, um, mentioning that uh, we're kind of okay-ish right now, but uh, there's still a lot of health within the industry. Yeah, I would say like uh, like uh, I think uh, uh, Mark Bristos just recently said that you know 1600 is a good price. Mm. So that uh, they're they still have reserves at 1250, and they never change them. Um, so they're in a much better spot than they were before in terms of what they already have. Uh, uh, the problem is now you know how do you grow? Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, what kind of assets uh, can you bring into your portfolio that give you a double-digit uh, return at the reserve prices, which are 1250 So it's hard to do M&A and bring something in that uh, meet those hurdle rates, and that's sort of like where we're sitting right now. I mean, the, the major transaction right now is Yamana uh, that was going to get by Goldfields, and now uh, you know a split between Agnico and uh, Pan American. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, that's nice for the industry in terms of consolidation, but it's 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 almost going back to the uh, the uh, you know the mega merger sort of stuff that mm -hmm. uh, you know it, it reduces the amount of acquirers for juniors. Mm -hmm. Now we have less players, you know, and you really want more players. You want more suitors and more you know that sort of thing. Uh, so th th that's not great for M and A right now in terms of the junior space. 
uh, and then a lot of the, the juniors still, uh, when they're putting resources out, they're still doing 1700, 1750 in terms of the resources. And that's hard for a major or somebody, intermediates have higher prices, but to take that and make it work with more uh, uh, restrictive uh, 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 price assumptions, mm -hmm. you know, uh, so, that, you know, because these guys tend to be a little bit more optimistic than the guy who actually produces that gold. Uh, next up, I'm going to be asking uh, Joe Mazumdar and asking Kai Hoffman uh, what uh, their predictions are, what they're going to be keeping an eye on uh, over the next 12 months. But first, let's hear from our sponsor, Snowline Gold. I'm with Scott Berdahl. He is CEO of Snowline Gold. Scott, welcome to Keiko. Thanks for having me, Michael. Catch us up again. What is Snowline Gold? What are you focused on, Scott? Snowline Gold is a Yukon-based uh, company focused on gold exploration in the Yukon in northwestern Canada. Uh, we have a series of grassroots targets, uh, and we're um, in the midst of uh, making what we think are some pretty exciting discoveries. You've had a great run-up this year. What are some of the highlights? What are some of the milestones that you hit? I think uh, our biggest milestone has been uh, just the, getting the drill results this season from our valley target, and those are just starting to trickle in. We have about 20% uh, 20, 20 of the total drilling that we've done. Uh, this year coming in 25% of the drilling that we've done on Valley, so we're still waiting for the vast majority of holes, but uh, we're seeing fantastic grades over a big tonnage of rock and uh, it, in long consistent intervals. So for example, uh, a recent hole returned uh, 2.5 grams per ton over 319 meters from surface. The top uh, 108 meters of that hole was uh, 4.1 grams per ton, again, from surface. So um, it's, uh, it's shaping up to be uh, a big system with uh, some of the highest grades right near the top, very low stripping ratio, uh, very quick payback, um, and just an exciting thing to find. Milestones over the next 12 months, Scott. Uh, well, getting the rest of those assays is, uh, <laughs> is the first one. Um, and, then, uh, and then gearing up for, uh, for next season. And of course, the exact plan will depend on uh, how the, those assays come back, both on that and our other targets. But uh, I think uh, de-risking, further de-risking the Valley target will be a big milestone. Um, doing metallurgical work as part of that de-risking uh, will be a big milestone. And looking at similar deposit types, this is a reduced intrusion-related gold system, uh, similar to Fort Knox in Alaska, uh, where they have, um, uh, well, metallurgy just makes these deposits work at, at low grades. And we're seeing the same mineralization, but high grade. And so we're, we're confident that we'll have good metallurgy, but of course we need to do the work. Um, and then uh, the other milestone that we're aiming for is uh, uh, continuing to make discoveries. We didn't set out to find this one target in particular. We set out with a focus on a region, a part of the Yukon that hadn't seen much exploration, but that uh, looks to us to be very fertile geologically. And, um, and we've gone in there and we've drilled three targets now. And on phase one, first ever drill programs on the three different targets, we've hit visible gold. And the two that we have assays back for, we have uh, significant uh, discoveries like the, the one that I mentioned. And so uh, the, the other milestone we're hoping for is to continue uh, making one or more discoveries next season and continuing to step out and drill uh, these dozens of targets we've identified. Congratulations on the success. We look forward to hearing more uh, news. Thank you very much. We're back. What are we looking at? What are you keeping an eye on in the resource space? Um, uh, gentlemen, I'm going to go first because Joe has a nice segue <laughs> into my point uh, that I was going to make. Uh, what I'm keeping primarily a look on is going to be uh, the Q4s that are coming out. Uh, it's going to be a very interesting earnings season because uh, this is kind of the next point that uh, the markets are paying attention to after the good inflation number. So I'm going to be looking at the Q4s for the broader market, and then I'm also going to be looking at it for the miners. What we're going to see here is, is that 
companies are feeling the full effect of uh, the Fed's uh, tightening. We're going to see a full quarter through that. So what that was actually doing, we're going to see what is actually happening with inflation. We're also going to see what these metal prices have been doing. So the margins that we're going to see from the miners are going to be particularly interesting. Joe? Yeah, I, I would say, you know, uh, I do own producers, some producers, but more so in the base metal space than the precious. I got out of the producers more yeah. than six months ago uh, because of that cost inflation. But I didn't, I didn't think it would impact the base metal guys, which it has because of COVID-19 you know, restrictions in China, which lowered the demand. So I was expecting them to have the cost, but see their prices go up mm -hmm. uh, driven by um, demand. Uh, but I haven't seen that. And what I've been seeing is uh, shrinking margins where the costs have actually flattened in the third quarter. They're still high, but they're, they're not going up higher. But the revenues dropped. Mm -hmm. And so their margins have gone from 40 plus percent to like in the 20s. Mm -hmm. And so like you, I'm, I'm going to see what the fourth quarter looks like in terms of, you know, how, how does that uh, bounce off the bottom in terms of costs and uh and that sort of thing. And another concern I have is uh, is the diesel, mm -hmm. uh, because we do look at the oil prices and they seem to be moder moderating. But we, you know we know that refineries have this thing called a crack spread, and they only produce so much of the other distillates. And diesel is a distillate, and so they're you know if they don't produce that much, and they're and, you know the refining capacity isn't there, you know suddenly uh, miners are paying I mean you know two hundred dollars a barrel. Yeah. For, for diesel. And, mm -hmm. and if you're very high, heavily exposed in a remote project, uh, those ones will, will, will be problematic. I'll say that uh, oil has been uh, kind of been a delightful story right now. I think the recent headline is, is that a uh, uh, barrel of oil is broken to the 70s right now. So uh, Yeah, but, but the yeah. thing is that uh, this is sort of a, a take on, hey, uh, you know, we're going to have a global recession, demand's uh, going to drop and things like that. But then we still have these, all these issues, like as well in base metals as we do in uh, any kind of refinery, is because they use power. And, and the problem right now is that we have drought conditions in, in China and that, and some, some of the power, the hydropower is not there. And so that some of their smelters are running at uh, lower capacity. And so there's a bit of a bottleneck. Yeah. You, you, the mines can produce as much concentrate as they want, but mm. it can't go through the smelter. You can produce more oil, but if you can't, refine it and produce the diesel that these guys want, you're going to still be paying a lot more. Hmm. Kai, the uh, host gets to go last. Uh, what are you uh, keeping an eye on over the next 12 months? Yeah, good, good, uh, good, good question, because we talked about the mega merger before, mm -hmm. right? So I think there's a lot of money coming out of that transaction. A lot of rumors I've been hearing as well. Uh, maybe first off, Goldfields is getting $300 million that they hadn't planned for, yeah. and uh, wondering how, how they're going to deploy that money. Uh, that was the break fee. That was that break fee from, yeah, from the Yamana deal. Okay. Uh, really curious because that's a lot of money that buys you a lot of juniors and a lot of interest and a lot of stakes mm -hmm. in companies. Mm -hmm. If they deployed that way, that'd be $300 million flooding into the juniors, mm -hmm. which I'd be really keen to see personally. Yes. We need that injection of fresh capital for sure. Um, but also on the other end, uh, what is Yamana and now Agnico planning to do with the BC assets that Yamana sort of bought into. So I picked up a rumor that there might be a bit of a roll-up strategy mm -hmm. uh, with Ascot, Scotty, and some of the other companies in that golden triangle that Yamana's previously invested yeah. in. Benchmark, Thesis, Keras. Uh, don't quote me on price or anything, timelines, yeah. but I heard that Peter Maroney might be getting a small parting gift and maybe might be able to run the sort of new Western Canada-focused miner. Mm -hmm. uh, looking forward to that, see if that plays out, because uh, that could have huge implications on the whole like BC Golden Triangle sector. Uh, Peter Maroney, of course, uh, head of uh, Yamana right now. So uh, I see he's going to be exiting that company. And then he said he's not finished yet. What is he going to be doing next? 
Exactly. He's only 62 years old, and I heard he's got a lot of fight in him left. So, Kai, thank you very much for hosting uh, Deutsche Gold Messe. Yeah, thanks for coming out again. Um, Loved having you here. How can we uh, find out more about SOAR? How do we get contact you? How do we follow you? Yeah, SOAR Financial on Twitter or yeah. myself at JR Mining Guy. That's where I shared the, the, the rumor as well. Mm -hmm. And just follow us on YouTube. Deutsche Goldmesse is the channel. We'll put up all the content from this fantastic conference, Joe's keynote as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, mm -hmm. I haven't seen it yet, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure it'll be great. <laughs> no, but uh, that's where you can find us. And Joe, where can we find you? ExplorationInsights.com, uh, weekly newsletter, and uh, uh, at Joe Mazumdar on Twitter and all that sort of fun stuff. My name is Michael McRae here at uh, Deutsche Gold Messe in Frankfurt for Keiko Mining. <laughs>